Okay, let's go back to Romans 6. What do you say? And um, see what we can find to... Um, Romans chapter 6. Uh, let me read you verses 18 and 19. And we're going to... We've already covered 18. I know you remember it. Um, and we'll look at verse 19 tonight. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, guys, you may recall that... Um, I said that it would be two weeks ago now because we had Thanksgiving and we had the two little missionaries from Tibet the week before that. Um, that I, I pointed out that verse 18 was really a, uh, a repeat, uh, a repetition of verse 11. And that Paul is repeating himself as he makes this grand argument uh, an argument that is aimed at the objection mentioned in verse 1. And that objection being, well, if, if what you're saying is true, uh, if, um, uh, why don't we just send it up so that grace can abound the more? So Paul is trying to correct that fallacy. And he does it in a couple of different ways and repeats himself. And so uh, verse 18 is somewhat of a repetition, repetition, very much similarity between verse 18 and verse 11. Well, verse 19 is somewhat of a repetition of verses 12 and 13. Look up with me in verses 12 and 13. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as, un, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, drop down and look at verse 19. Uh, presented your members of slave, uh, as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more... So now present your members as slaves of right. Do you see the similarities between verse 19 and verse 13? Paul is simply making his argument again. Uh, the one that he made it in the first 14 verses, he is repeating as he closes off this section of, of his letter to the Romans. He has made a foundational statement in verse 18. Look at 18 again. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves. That is a foundational, definitional statement that is true about Christians. So now, on the basis of that, he moves to make an appeal, an exhortation. Now he's going to exhort you in light of verse 18 to respond in a particular way. All right? Now, look at verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Let's concentrate on that just for a minute. In all honesty, guys, there would be a sense that would be helpful if that sentence was put in parenthesis. It is an aside. You know, have you ever seen a lecture and, and all of a sudden you've got the, the whole body of the lecture moving in this direction and the, and the speaker pauses and says, well, let me make sure that... And, and it's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a device, an aside. Well, the, that first sentence of verse 19 is an aside. He's referring to uh, something he's doing. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. 
<clears throat> that first sentence, in that first sentence, he is referring to his use of illustrations. And the particular illustration that he is using, he mentions in verse 18, and of course, he, he, he alludes to it again in verse 19, but this, this um, uh, illustration of the human institution of slavery. He is using the human institution of slavery to illustrate the point that he's making. And he pauses for a moment to say, I speak uh, in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He is, in essence, making some concession and apology to the fact that he is using illustration. Now, guys, um, if I could just comment real quickly. Um, I was in a, in a meeting one time, and, and um, it was a meeting on, you know, for preachers. And one of my heroes, R.C. Sproul, got up and said, there are three principles of good preaching. Three principles. Principle number one of good preaching is illustration. Principle number two of good preaching is illustration. And principle number three of good preaching, you can guess, is illustration. Now, guys, I know the point that he's trying to make, but there is a danger. There is a danger in the use of illustration. Actually, there's two dangers. The first danger in illustration is using illustration too much such that preaching becomes purely anecdotal and, and the preacher becomes a Garrison Keeler type, a storyteller. And he moves from one story to the next. I have one guy that I love to listen to his sermons because I love to steal his stories. Um, but every time I finish one of his sermons, I, I walk away saying, now, now what did that text say? Because he never deals with the text, but he tells some great stories. That's a danger in the use of illustration, where, where, where homiletics, where teaching, where preaching becomes nothing more than entertaining you with light and delightful stories that really, you know, maybe bring a tear to your eyes or, or whatever. But that's not the job. The job is designed to explicate the Word of God for you. Now, that's one of the dangers of illustration. The other danger of illustration is the underuse of illustration. You can use them too much. You can use them too little. And preaching becomes nothing more than an academic exercise where I explain to you the nuances of every Greek verb. And, uh, for instance, we were meeting today and... Um, with, the, with the youth staff I do every Wednesday. And, and um, we were talking about the story, and I forget it's in John 8, about the, um, the pool of Bethesda and, the, and the, 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 the sick and infirm around the pool. And, and they thought that when the angels touched the water, if they could jump in, they'd be healed first. And um, there is, there's, part of the story is, and one person had been sick for 38 years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I pause to tell you the import of the number 38. I have done nothing but a disservice to you. Because, very honestly, the 38 years is not important. The text could have said, a long time. 
so the point is, you can over, um, uh, you can be over cognitive, and as a result, underutilize illustrations, or you can be under cognitive, and overuse illustrations. But the, but interestingly enough, Paul uses illustration, and of course, the master illustrator. Is the, is, the, is the Savior himself. And he was constantly saying, the sower went out to sow. And using those things to illustrate the, the truths that he, that he wanted to teach. But here Paul says, I'm using illustration because of the weakness of your flesh. What do you think he has in mind? He thinks perhaps that you are intellectually unsound or intellectually deprived. That's not the issue. The issue is, ladies and gentlemen, that because of sin, we are all missing a great deal of sensitivity to, to spiritual things. There is, a, there is an impact, or part of the ravages of sin, is that we are incapable of spiritual comprehension. And so, Paul says, let me try to illustrate it for you. It's like the human institution of slavery. Now, I, I only I, I tell you that because, guys, illustration is important, but it can never be too important. Uh, the master, and, um, besides the Savior, of course, the man who I think was the best at it is C.S. Lewis. Um, do you know what analogy is? Analogy is, this truth is like this. Nobody did it as well. And by the way, that's the hard work. It's the hard work of preaching is not storytelling. <laughs> storytelling, and let me tell you, I read books all day to try to get a good story out of them, you know? Uh, and the stories help from time to time. But the, the real issue is analogy. This is like this. This is something that is a part of my human experience, and it helps me to grasp and comprehend a spiritual concept. That takes genius. That's why you don't hear many analogies uh, here at Gracie Van. You hear some stories, but not very many analogies. But all I'm simply saying is that's, what, that's how you want to understand that first sentence uh, of verse 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Because of the weakness of your flesh, I am resorting to illustration. And illustration is very helpful and very useful and very biblical. Okay. Now, now, we come to the second sentence in verse 19, which is really the, the heart of the text. Uh, For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Now, guys, first thing I want you to see is what he's doing here, and he's done it a dozen times in this chapter. He is setting up a comparison. Notice. For just as, so now. For just as, used to do da 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 so now, da 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 That's the heart of this text, the comparison that he's making. And he's, ma- he's making a comparison between two slaveries. A slavery to unrighteousness that led to lawlessness. And, and look, interestingly, this is, I thought, very interesting. Uh, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Do you remember those days? Do you remember those days when you were not a Christian? That uh, you thought you had arrived at one level of lawlessness, but uh, lawlessness advances? <laughs> you know, nobody stays in the same place, folks. We're even getting better or we're getting worse. 
But lawlessness, one level of lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. But just like one level of lawlessness leads to a greater level of lawlessness, so now one level of righteousness ought to lead to a greater uh, level of righteousness. That's the comparison he's making. Um, He is still trying to correct those people who are suggesting that as long as I'm under grace, I can do anything I want. Paul is quite anxious that they should see that the man who is no longer under law is now under another slavery. Guys, um, and that slavery is, of course, the slavery to Christ. We are set free from one slavery so that we can present ourselves to another slavery. Gang, at, at one and the same time, my new relationship to Christ combines elements of slavery and elements of freedom. Um, I, I don't know whether that confuses. I hope not. Because, guys, uh, I have so overworked this, this illustration. In fact, I, I used it again this afternoon, and everybody in the room knew it, but I'm going to use it again for you. Um, it's a true story that I heard um, while in seminary about the, the, the elementary school that was situated on the corner of two six-lane thoroughfares. You know, it was right here in the corner, and you got six lanes going this way and six lanes going this way. You remember this story, don't you? But it, the point, and, and there was a fence built to protect the children while at recess. Um, Martha, you hadn't heard the story, had you? Good, good. I'm, I'm glad you're here tonight, because let me just tell you the story, Martha. It, it's a wonderful story. Um, the rest of you have heard it. But um, this elementary school at the corner of two busy, busy streets, and they had the fence to protect the kids at recess. And so the PTA kicked up such a stink about that fence because it made their kids look like they were caged animals. And as a result of the stink that got kicked up by the PTA, the fence was taken down. Now, because Martha is the only one that has not heard this story, Martha, guess what happened the next day? A car. There was a wreck. A child was injured. No! (laughs) That is exactly what didn't happen. (laughs) But I knew that I could count on Martha to be absolutely wrong. Uh, No, but that's the point. That's not what happened. The kids didn't get run over by a car. They huddled in 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 the middle of the playground because they were so terrified of the traffic. Do you see the point? When the fences are up, there is enormous freedom. Take the fences down, and you have bondage. At one at the same time, there is a bondage and a freedom in my relationship to Christ. I am bound to Christ, and that bondage gives me freedom. I know how far I can go and be true to the design that's woven within me. But, do you see here, guys, there is a slavery that we used to experience, and now there is a new slavery. A slavery and and the, the new dimension, or the added dimension, 
is that of love. Guys, a, a man who is in love is a willing slave. He, he lives to delight the one he loves. Um, you, you know, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, you're yoked. You're yoked to Christ. And it's a, it's a yoke that is easy and the burden is light. In fact, the more I'm yoked to Him, the more freedom I experience. The more I submit and yield my will to His, the more I find myself living the kind of life I was designed to live in the first place. The Christian is not a free man. He is a man who is under the tyranny of love. I am compelled by the love of Christ. And it's that love that drives me uh, into a, a path uh, of righteous living. The exhortation um, in the second half of the sentence, or the second half of the verse, is, as I said, very similar to what you find in verse 13. Um, look again at verse 19. For just as you presented your members as slaves of, of uncleanness. That's what we did. We presented our members... Now, remember, when we were on verse 13, I told you then that the members is all the parts. You know, all the, the, the body parts. We presented as slaves of lawlessness, as slaves of uncleanness. All the body parts were given over to slavery to uncleanness. You know, the hands and the eyes and other parts. And, you know... Um, but included in that idea of members is my mind and my emotions as well. You know, I'm doing pretty good with the body parts these days, except my tongue. It's still unruly. I said something on the phone today. I, I just, I'm ashamed. I mean, it, it was just... I called a woman right back and said, please forgive me for saying that. That was the stupidest thing. I, 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 that's a long story and I won't bore you with it. But I thought, oh, <laughs> what a disgusting person you are. But, um, um, you know, my, my body parts, I don't use my, you know, I don't steal anything anymore. I know y'all be glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't use these to gaze at pornography. I gave it up last week. <laughs> I, I, and I don't, I don't, I'm not using other parts, members of my body to, to serve uncleanness. But I'm telling you, I still struggle with this other member that none of you can see. The imaginations of my heart. The, uh, the, the, the things that are hidden that only I know that's going on up there. You present it to uncleanness. You know, guys, um, so something comes into your minds that is X-rated and enjoyable. By the way, that can happen completely apart from you. The Bible says that in Ephesians chapter 6, that uh, Satan and his flaming missiles. He can throw something at you. You know that? So it maybe don't take, you don't have to take credit for it being so bad that you did it. I mean, blame Satan on this. But the point is, how long did you enjoy it while it was up there? That's presenting a member to uncleanness. 
And what Paul is saying is, you remember when you were in that other slavery, you were presenting your members to uncleanness. And then he goes on to say, from one level of uncleanness to a greater level of uncleanness. Now, in a similar way, present those same members to righteousness. Use those things to serve righteousness. You know, use the mind to serve righteousness. Use the tongue to serve righteousness. You used to use it another way, but use it now this way. Present your members. Don't present them to uncleanness. Now, guys, do you see what the New Testament is doing here in terms of sanctification? It is issuing you commands. Sanctification is not something that is ever presented by the New New Testament as optional. As if, you know, if I really started living more obediently, I'll have more jewels in my crown or something. No, ladies and gentlemen, that's 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 not the enticement of sanctification. Maybe if you'll do this for us, you'll be better. No. The New Testament is always instructing you and imperatively... To live this way. Do not present your members to this, but by way of dictum, present your members to this. Now, a couple of quick things. Um, um, Concerning the members. (laughs) Guys, um, the, the members that I'm supposed to... When I became a Christian, the members didn't change. The members that comprise me of the unconverted Jimmy Young are the same members that comprise me as the converted Jimmy Young. For instance, take my warped personality. Gang, I am not called to change my personality. I know that will disappoint many of you. Nor are you called to change yours. You are called to now use it to serve a different master. There is no standard by which we all are measured in terms of some kind of Christian performa. That is, that we all have to walk in a straight line and quack the same way. Guys, you, those, those non-Christian, those unconverted members have been brought into the kingdom and they're, but now, It's just there to be used for a different purpose. I am not being asked to change my personality, but I am being asked to drain all sin out of it. So you are who you are, and I am who I am, and Paul is who he was, and John is who he was, and Peter was who he was. Paul was an enormous persecutor of the church. So he came into the kingdom, and he becomes just as zealous for the promotion of the church. But his personality doesn't change. And that didn't happen to us that we all become like each other. Oh, how horribly unfun that would be. Gang, um, and, and we're all made up of different member parts. Um, for instance... Um, for me to exercise one second worth of humility 
would be far more spiritual uh, than um, uh, Harry Stuber uh, manifesting ten minutes of humility. Does that make Does that make any sense to you? I mean, do you understand what I'm trying to get at? My members present a, a, a particular set of challenges. But let me let me do it like this. Me being bold uh, for ten minutes is not as spiritual as one second of Sheila Braithwaite's being bold. Sheila Braithwaite brings a, a set of members into the kingdom. I bring a set of members into the kingdom. It's not that we change personality types. What we change is to whom that personality is devoted. Um, one other thing. There's a comparison being set here. A comparison about how you served lawlessness and now how you serve righteousness. Tell me this. How did you serve lawlessness? One hour a week? I bet not. I bet you devoted a little bit more time. So now, just as... Just as you used your members to devote yourself to lawlessness, take those members and in the same way devote them to the pursuit of an establishment of righteousness. So, so lawlessness was funner to serve. So we gave it 11 hours and we give one hour to righteousness. You know, guys... Um, um, how much energy did you exert um, in serving lawlessness? Do it kind of half-heartedly? Guys, I shouldn't tell you this story. I, I'm way too vulnerable. Um, I, should be, I should play much closer to the vest. But um, when I was at the University of Tennessee, and, um, you know, I went to school on a baseball scholarship. I meant to tell you all that. Um, but, but I lived in the athletic dorm. I pledged a fraternity. I was an SAE at the University of Tennessee. I really pledged a fraternity because I wanted to go to the parties. Now, I was a pagan in college. But I wanted to go to the parties. So I really, I mean, I had to go to the meetings where they'd find you. So I went to the meetings on Monday nights. I think they were weekly or monthly or whatever they were. I went because I didn't want to get fined. But I never really got into the fraternity except on the weekends. And uh, I didn't have to eat over there because I was eating at the training table. And, you know, and, and, and I could always say, oh, I can't do that because the coach. And they say, okay, well, go on. And, and so I didn't have to do all those bad things that, uh, like, in, like in the initiation week when all the other pledges were spending the night over there for seven straight nights. I didn't ever have to spend the night over there. I went home and got a night's sleep because I said, you know, athletic department told me I couldn't do that. So I went back home. But the one thing that the fraternity used me for, I mean, they really took advantage of me, of course, I was a willing participant, was during rush. And we would have all of these rushies in there, you know, and they would come and they'd stay for whatever it was, I don't know, an hour or whatever, and we would try to... And then at the end, before we got the next group of rushies in, um, we would gather in the, the foyer there at the SAE house, and we would sing frat songs. I can still sing some of them. But guess who led the frat songs? And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, none of those fraternities sang the frat songs like we sang the frat songs. 
we had those people in an absolute frenzy by the time they left. I was, I was an absolute village idiot. I mean, you can't imagine. I mean, you don't want to imagine. But I mean, I, because they really, okay, let young love lead the singing. And so I would leave the singing for these, you know, these 18-year-old high school punks, and and I was trying to impress them with the spirit and the and the pizzazz and the and the vitality of our fraternity. What did you expect me to preach like? Did you want me to change my members? Sorry. The thing that I hate about the Christian church is we are such colorful people until we meet Christ. And then all of a sudden you get pressed into some mo. Well, you know, you've got to do this. I had a man telling me yesterday, this is the honest truth, this is at the Germantown Community Center, that he's, he's a pastor and he is leaving his, his pastoral call because their church made an issue out of his not wearing a tie. Now, you know what? Richard Hall got up on the stage Sunday, and he led that last song without a tie on, and I noticed that. I noticed that. Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, was, he didn't have a tie on. And we really raked him over the coals over that one. Now, you know, maybe he should have had a tie on. But the, but the thing is, guys, when you came into the kingdom, you brought that personality with you, and some of it's got to go. The symbol parts have got to go. But God does not void you as a person. He has woven you and made you into this creative, wonderful... Now, be that. You presented those members to unrighteousness. you still got the members. Now, let's take them and serve the King of Kings with them. One other thing, and I, and I have to quit. Guys... Um, the New Testament's method or way of promoting sanctification. If you can get this, I have done you an everlasting favor. I would like for you to get it so that I could get it. Because I got it. Intellectually. I'm not sure that it's seeped down into the cracks and the crevices of my soul yet. But the New Testament way of promoting sanctification is this. It is to get you to realize your position and your standing in Christ and then look at you and say, act accordingly. That's what you have here in verses 18 and 19. Look, guys, it says, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's who you are. Slaves of righteousness. Now, for God's sake, go act like that. That's what it says in verse 19. This is a definition. You became slaves of righteousness. Now, here's the exhortation. Here's the definition. Here's the statement of fact. You became slaves of righteousness. Now, present your members. You used to present them over there. Don't do that anymore. Present them over here. That's the way the New Testament teaches sanctification. By trying to establish clearly in the minds of God's people where they stand, who they are, what their position is in Christ now.
slave of righteousness. Act accordingly. Justification and sanctification once again married. Let's quit. Father, I do thank you for the privilege that is mine to try and explain the Word of God and to do it in a way that your people can grasp and embrace and enjoy and apply. And I pray that you will allow that because we are a people who are not interested in being churchmen. We are people interested in being the people of God. Now, um, uh, might we leave here with a sense of your blessing and your ownership, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.